So as we look at our uh, next lesson, Jesus comforting Mary and Martha, we want to remember they are a part of a group of siblings. There are Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, here are three things about these. Mary was the sister who liked to listen to Jesus. Y'all remember the story of her sitting at Jesus' feet, worshiping him and listening to him. Martha was the sister who loved to serve others. So she was going to be active. She had action as a part of what she liked. And the opposite is Mary who wanted to sit quietly and reflect. So those are indicators of the personality. That's going to show up here in our example in just a minute. Lazarus is now the brother who is sick. Now, isn't it wonderful to have a, a, be in a group or a family where some like to listen, some like to do things, and then we can all be supported? I find that in here, in our group. Uh, we have so many who are good listeners, so many who want to sit with you, somebody who wants to bring a meal to you or send you flowers. We do that, put a balloon on your mailbox, serve you in some way. And so it's wonderful to have all of those attitudes and ways to serve others as a part of our group. Well, let's get into our chapter. We're looking at John chapter 11, and I'm doing today what's called expository learning. That's where we take a chapter of the Bible, and we go verse by verse, and we break it apart, and we put ourselves into the action. So let's begin with verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So you see what's going on. A loved one is ill. They are in a moment of desperation and perhaps panic. They want to get help for Lazarus, and they know that Jesus is the one that can do it because he has performed miracles. And so I imagine it went like this. Jesus has done miracles before. We know that he can do that now. We can get his help, and we need it quickly. Things are not good, remember, and so they are in a moment where they need something to happen now, and that is their expectation. But look at what Jesus said when he heard about the situation, and I want you to listen to see if there are any words of comfort in here. Uh, Verse 4, when Jesus heard about it, he said, and notice it began with but. (laughs) That already tells you it's not going to be what they wanted immediately. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Well, his answer is not what the sisters expected. Not at all. They were looking for him to make a side trip, weren't they? They were thinking that he would come immediately to the aid of his sick friend and give a healing. But that is not what happened. Instead, Jesus gave words of comfort. Now, in that, he is actually telling them something like this. I have a plan. Lazarus is not going to end up dead. God's going to get the glory. Will you trust me? That's what he's telling them. That's the words of comfort. Now, you know they must have been disappointed because they wanted action. That might be some of us in the room today. We are facing things. Things are going on in our lives. 
not going the way we want them to. We pray about it. We're wanting answers. We want action. And sometimes words are not what we just, what we want. And so God is probably saying something very similar. Hold on. I'll get the glory in this. If you just let me work on my timetable, I will work this out for your good and for my glory. That's what he told the sisters. Wow, those are words and they're not actions. So I ask, are God's words and his promises in scripture enough to see us through the hard times? Is it enough? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to listen to the words and know the promises and really believe them and wait patiently. So how do you wait? This was a test for Mary and Martha. Remember, he has all given us this same, very same promise. And he wants us to cooperate with him in the journey. That's what we're called upon to do. Go alongside his plan. So this situation with Lazarus is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to let God shine. Well, he says the same to us. Every situation that we go through, the one we're going through right now, is an opportunity for God to shine. Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 5 says, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, he loved them. That was the promise. It's the same promise for us. He loves us, but he stays with his plan. He's going to get his plan, and that's going to mean a delay. Two days delay when their brother is dying. That's a hard lesson to learn. Why doesn't he just drop everything and go see Lazarus? Because that wasn't his plan. He had a purpose. Because if God's going to be glorified, there has to be the yuckiness in the middle in order for God to get uh, the glory. It's going, because it's going to be much more miraculous uh, when he does his work. Uh, this is not because God did not love them. And that's a hard thing for us to remember because sometimes when terrible things happen to us and in the world and our friends, we begin to wonder who God is. But this is the reminder that God is always love. He can be nothing else. He is always uh, in for our good and for his glory. And that is who he is and who he, he, he cannot be anything else. And so it's a matter of trust. <clears throat> so do we trust that he loves us? when his answers don't come quickly enough. Do you know that Jesus is not driven by the tyranny of the urgent? And that's what we want, isn't it? He is not driven by our sense of urgency. That's so hard for us because we want things to happen quickly and to happen now. Uh, his love remains the same though. Now let's, let's break this down to see how important the weight is. God uh, has this timetable. Had Jesus rushed to Lazarus, Lazarus would not die, and the miracle could not occur. And so Jesus would not have been able to manifest the glory of God by raising Lazarus. Now, I've told you the end. Okay. Surprise! Spoiler! He's going to get raised. God knew that. Jesus knew that, but the sisters had to trust that that is going to happen. Because Jesus told them, didn't he? He said the words, 
He's not going to, to be dead. Just, it's going to turn out okay. Look at verse 7. I love the first word. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to, G- to uh, Judea. Now look at the next word. The first word of each line is always so important. But his disciples objected. Those disciples are always throwing a curve in the plan. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? See, it sounds incredulous. Isn't it just, wouldn't it just be weary for Jesus? He's always trying to overcome this person and that person and disappointment from Mary and Martha. And they didn't understand and the disciples didn't get it. And he's always saying to them, I have a plan. I have a purpose. So time doesn't move quickly. And so when Jesus decides to return, then his disciples find plenty of reasons to stop him. They fear that Jesus will be killed on the way back from Judea. They had just fled there. Jesus had been run away from there. And so they are saying, I don't want you to go. Uh, Do people ever stop you from where you need to go? They ever stop you from a purpose and a plan that you have? Something you feel called to do and led to do. And there are all those people telling, you know, you can't do that. What if this happens? You can't do that. No, stop it. Quit. And you know full well it is your plan and your purpose. This is what was happening. We need to watch out for those disciples and those co-workers and those friends and those family members who are trying to thwart the plan and purpose of God in our life. Because they are the people. Because that's how Satan begins to work. Because he begins to try to weave his way into God's plan and his purpose for our lives. And he does that by having people try to stop us. And the disciples, as well-meaning as they were, were trying to thwart the plan that Jesus had. Well, Jesus comforts again with his words. Let's see what he says in verse 9. Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. Now, I just want to pause there because to me, that is hilarious. It's funny. It's like Jesus stops like, guys, 12 hours every day. Don't y'all hear it that way? Sometimes we think of Jesus as all pastoral with his hands folded. There are 12 hours of daylight in the day. No, he doesn't do that. He's in relationship with these people. And don't you know he got frustrated? He was holy, uh, had holy anger at times. And so he says, there are 12 hours during the day. I do love he breaks it down. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light. (laughs) They can see because they have light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. So he's telling them, he's reassuring them, we're going because we're going to travel in light. And also there's all this beautiful image of, of Christ as the light of the world. And then we are fighting the darkness. There's that imagery. But it's just practical. And so he has taken the moment to stop. And he pressed pause, as I often say we need to do before we say something we shouldn't say. And I dare to think what I might have said if somebody was thwarting my big plan of a miracle. I might have said, shut up and saddle up. We're headed out. Anybody else might have that reaction? But Jesus didn't do it. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to wake you up? Isn't that wonderful? Well, here's the good news. One day he will. Isn't that good news? He's going to do the same to us. So uh, let's see. Uh, Here, this play on words about asleep or dead. Uh, The word of, of sleep can have both meanings. 
Uh, so he says then to his disciples, say to him, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So scripture tells us that what Jesus meant there. And that would be a logical response all of us would have. Uh, so he told them, and this is a key word here, plainly. Don't we just want the simple, basic truth and facts from a doctor? From a friend? From anybody? Just tell me the plain truth. You know, I'm a choleric, bottom line person. Just get to the bottom line. I don't need to know all the backstory and the what. Just get to what is the diagnosis? What's the story? And so Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Lazarus is dead. And to hear that truth directly is painful and it's devastating. But hearing words like that, there is a diagnosis. Aren't we sometimes just glad to get the diagnosis so we know what's been plaguing us for the last three months? We like to know. Give us the simple, plain truth. That's the first step to begin healing once we know truth. So they have heard that Lazarus is actually dead. Hearing this truth is going to be the first step of the resurrection because they had to know that he is really dead. Lazarus is dead. So we want to now look at the responses to Jesus and his plan. So we're going to look at Thomas, one of the disciples, and Mary and Martha, and we're going to look at how they respond to what is happening. And so we can put ourselves in here and be any one of these. Where you'll find yourself somewhere. And so attitudes can become habits and mindsets. So I'm calling these demonstrating mindsets. Fifth, verse 15, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. So do you see what Jesus said to them? He said, I I'm glad that I didn't go. Because I'm telling you now, he's dead. So when you get there, you're going to see I'm speaking truth to you. Let's go see him. So believing, the disciples believing Jesus, Mary, Martha, Thomas, believing Jesus, that is what is urgent. Us believing Jesus is urgent for us. Because that is what calls us to the next thing we do. Do we believe Jesus? So, believing is urgent. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's, let's go to and die with Jesus. Okay. So, let's remember Thomas. What is his nickname, people? What is it? <laughs> Doubting Thomas. Or we can call him I.R., okay, E.R., Winnie the Pooh character. Uh, he's always walking around with this black cloud over his head. He is the doubter. So the disciples had just said, remember, they said, uh, we can't go back to Judea. Why? What were they afraid would happen? <clears throat> Jesus would get killed. And so here I think Thomas is being sarcastic. And I think he gave the eye roll when, when he said, well, let's go too and die with Jesus. You hear it like that? Let's just go do it with him. We're all going to die. We'll just go. So again, the doubt and the sarcasm, that is an attitude. Do you ever have that attitude? Sarcasm and doubt when people are disappointing you or saying things to you? Uh, Jesus now sees this as an opportunity for God to shine, but Thomas sees their deaths. So he is fearful, he is doubting, and he is sarcastic. So that is the mindset. Doubt, 
and fear. Well, sometimes we live there also. We often don't trust God because we don't understand the timetable. We think we pray, and then we're going to immediately start seeing the fruit of the prayer. And so then when we don't, we begin to doubt, we get frustrated, and that becomes the story. So sometimes it paralyzes us when uh, we become fearful of what might happen. And it could have done that to any of those disciples, being fearful to go back to, through Judea because they might be facing fear, uh, facing their death. And so I ask, are, are we living with any doubt or constant skepticism? Do we give in to fear instead of living in our faith? Once again, that's our women's ministry theme for the year, living in faith over our fear. And so we're going to see how this works out. Maybe we can relate to Thomas. Uh, Could we just trust God? Just trust that he says he is going to do what he says. He says this. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise he has. He tells us this. I want to give you a future. He says, I am your hope. He says, I want your good. And I want to give you good. And I want to be glorified in all of this goodness. And he's saying to us, stay with me. Just be faithful and don't give in to the fear. That is a common mindset. Well, now let's go to Mary and Martha and see what their reactions are. Uh, They are grief-stricken. They are going to be shocked about what is happening. They will be struggling to understand what is going on. We can place ourselves in that situation. Uh, Somebody who's died, a family member, a, a loved one of some sort. We can do that because we've all lost people that we love. And we know how it looks and we know how it feels. We know those hours and those days after we've lost a loved one. Because what happened is they reached out to Jesus and he said, wait. And they waited two days and what happened was Lazarus died. So they are grief stricken. They're trying to make meaning out of what Jesus said. They're going through the grief process. And we've been there. We know how messy it is. And we cycle in and out of our stages of grief. There were tears, plenty of tears. There, I'm sure, is guilt. There is denial. Uh, We find ourselves in all of those stages when we lose a loved one. We we blame ourselves for things. Uh, Then sometimes we find ourselves in this pit of sadness. And it might even go into depression. So we can empathize with Mary and Martha. Couple those feelings of grief with the knowledge they have of Jesus, probably their best friend, Jesus, and the words he told them. Do you see how hard it is to hold on to both of those at the same time? Their brother has died. He is gone. He is, there is no heartbeat. There is no pulse. And Jesus said he's not going to die. He's going to live. Hold on. How do you reconcile those two? It's hard. So I want us to make sure we understand that their emotions are going to surface. They have a heap of emotions, and they're going to surface. So let's hear what they do. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave now four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha 
got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only. Y'all know those trigger words. I see those of you been here a long time. You're circling those two words because you know we're going to talk about those. If only. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's look at Mary first and look at her mindset and see how she goes into discouragement and anxiety. See, she stayed home. She could not bring herself to leave the house to go meet Jesus. When Jesus visited their home on any other occasion, Mary would sit at his feet. She would listen to him. She adored him and she worshipped him. Martha was usually up, busy, cooking, cleaning. Mary has more of this melancholy personality. And she sits quietly with her struggles and with her troubles. Sometimes she would become withdrawn. And then she would begin to live in some discouragement that might spiral into depression. Some will be able to relate to that because that's how you respond as well when you get sad news. Well, um, not only did she stay home, I surmise she didn't get out of bed. Uh, She might still be in her night clothes past noon. (laughs) The laundry wasn't done. The beds weren't made. There was green fuzzy stuff on the food. (laughs) The dirty dishes were in the sink. Can anybody relate? Sometimes there, there are those here who go deep inside and mourn deeply and go uh, into sometimes a pit of despair. She may have been saying something that sounded like this, why even bother, nothing's going to happen, he's dead, there's no use, and the spiral begins. See, beginning with discouragement, we can then move into fear and anxiety and then confusion and sadness. It's the opposite of encouragement and hope when we begin to live in discouragement. Not to say we should not have those moments and those days of of grief and sorrow and sadness where we need to mourn. The caution is how long do we let it go and how deep do we let it go? That is what we would want to warn against. Discouragement hits when we feel pretty good about a situation and then somebody comes along and disrupts it and then we begin to get discouraged. At times we get discouraged immediately and other times it creeps up slowly and unexpectedly. But unchecked discouragement can cause us to become depressed. And then here here is what's so important. It can cause us to be ineffective in God's work. That goes to our plan and our purpose he has for each of us. And when we give way to discouragement and sadness and sorrow, we go into uh, self-pity and whatever other emotions this leads us to, then we are not effective in God's work because we are not focused on doing what he would have us to do. We're not living in the center of his will because we become self-absorbed. That's the real caution of giving into discouragement that takes us down that spiral. I wonder how long Mary would spiral. 
when in your life you get discouraged. Let's be honest and identify it. Let's know the triggers. Let's know what's coming on us so that we can be ready. Be ready to be on the attack of the discouragement. Let's think now, what might be weighing you down? Do you, do you feel some constant pressure, some kind of worry? Are you worried about your children or a spouse or your uh, fa- other family members or a friend or the world at large? Or is this constant worry about your health, about uh, being tired or being weak and by being weary? Are you able to get a hold of it and return back to your center place that is in the center of God's will. If not, then you are beginning the spiral. The antidote to discouragement is encouragement. Now, where do we find that encouragement? We find it through friends. We find it as always in going to lunch with a friend and talking things over, sharing with somebody. I do that with my husband and with my sister. Um, I share and talk and talk through things. It's really important for me to get another perspective. Uh, and they can fill me with some encouragement and some enthusiasm. And we can get it from Scripture and reminding ourselves of what the promises are that God has given us. Spending time alone uh, in your place where you go to meditate with God. Getting that kind of encouragement. Listening to a sermon. Listening to some praise and worship music. That's the antidote from our, for our discouragement. Do you need a resurrection from your discouragement and anxiety? See, God can do it because that is his plan. Thomas now was driven by fear and doubt. Mary is burdened by this discouragement and anxiety and depression. And then there's Martha. Let's look at Martha. Her mindset is blame and anger. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. Now, many of you who could not really relate to Mary will relate to Martha. Mary went to bed and Martha went to blame. Sounds like a poem, doesn't it, of some sort or a fairy tale that hopefully ends well. She was consumed uh, with this despair and blame. Her voice is probably trembling with anger and anguish. Now, we know Martha from another time. Remember when she had the gall to tell the Lord, make Mary get up and help me with the dishes. Remember that? That is our Martha. Martha's all about the action. We need to do things, and then we're going to blame, and we're going to point the fingers. Uh, She pointed her finger in rebuke at the Lord that time, and she did it again this time. Her words cast all the blame on him. If only you had been there. And so what was the problem? It it was taking Jesus too long to get anything done, and she put the blame on him. Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. He was a dead man. I mean, really dead. In the tomb, dead. (laughs) Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. What were you thinking? Does this sound like anybody in the room besides me? I wouldn't have been in that bed. That doesn't get anything done. Getting out and telling people stuff gets things done, doesn't it? Some will be able to relate to this language, this blame language of if only. It sounds like this, if only I had, and then you fill in the blank with your only, if only, all your if onlys, money, time, a different childhood, a a different education, a a different husband, different children, (laughs) 
<laughs> if only somebody hadn't done this or something hadn't happened. And then we move on to get angry about it. And that's when we flip our lid. <laughs> Has anybody done that? Okay, we'll give you a little... Trust me with your emotions and trust me with your thinking. 
this is a little device that you use. I teach our mamas to teach it to their children. And it can just be a cute little signal across the table when your cheddar's eating and they are flying off the handle. And just go, hey, baby, where are you? <laughs> and I teach them words to say. <laughs> I teach them the things that they, uh, they need to say. It's, uh, we need to... Um, we need to, the idea is to bring it back home. And so we, we uh, take a break. Uh, we take a break, say a prayer, and bring it home. And that's what we need to do uh, when we have flipped our lid. Now listen, Martha didn't know that strategy. But she had Jesus right there with her. Let's see what she begins to do. Uh, uh, the antidote she learned. And it tells us in Scripture, we're going to see it in 20, verse 22. Her, our antidote, when we begin to blame and have anger, is but God. But God. So here's what she knew. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So see, she brought herself back down, didn't she? She reminded herself, but God. He's going to do the right thing. He has the promises. And so Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. There's the promise he's giving her. Remember God's attributes and his promises. He will do what he says to do. Jesus makes simple but profound statements. And he waits, listen to this, he waits for our responses. In her misunderstanding of Jesus' meaning... She says this, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now, I have to think she had an attitude. Did it sound like it to you? I, listen, I'm only speaking because I can hear myself in here. Yeah, he'll rise when everybody else does, rest of us. Now, we have to live the next 20 years without him. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? See, he's asking us that. Do you believe me? Do you believe if you trust me, you are going to live even after you die? And this was, this was the point he was trying to make. Trust me and this will happen. This is a, a symbol, an imagery for the people of the day to have of what is going to happen. Do y'all see that? That I, I'm going to have Lazarus die so that I can raise him up. And it's a visual. Hey, people, this is what's going to happen to all of us when we die. If you trust me and you follow me and you live for me, this will happen to you also. It had to happen this way for his plan, his purpose, and for his glory to be realized. Now, what he is doing, he is providing spiritual comfort words. For the sisters. And this is what we need today. He tells us to believe in him. And to trust in him. And he will conquer our own dead places. That's what he's come to do. In the greatest message of comfort that Jesus can give. He tells us. I am your Lord and Savior. Trust me. Now here is what Martha now says. It's a beautiful example of a statement of faith. 27. If you ever struggle with what to say about your faith testimony, here's an example. Yes, Lord, she told him, and I think this was in all humility. She was back to her set point. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. 
She believed. That's what, where we want to be. That gets us back to our set point. So this is the central point that any of us need to understand about our faith journey. We confess what we have done wrong. We ask and receive the Lord's forgiveness for that. And we say, I trust you are who you say you are. And I will live for you from this day forward. That's what we do when we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And she admitted that. And then we always want to look at the the person's actions after that. So verse 28 says, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And I love what Mary did. So Mary went, immediately went to him. She comes out of her gloom. She comes out of her depression because Jesus wanted to see her. Do you see that's what she needed? She needed to see him. Mary leaves the pit. She leaves her cave. She leaves that fetal position, her despair. She leaves it when Jesus calls to her. See, in our own despair and in our own pit, Jesus is calling us too. He's not near the physical realm as as he was for her. Wouldn't that have been beautiful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were in our cave of despair in the bedroom with the covers up over our head and then we heard Jesus' voice say, come on out now, come out. It's time to play with me again and let's do it the right way. Well, he doesn't do it physically, but he does it in the spiritual realm. It's what he calls us to do. How do we know he's calling? We hear that beautiful small voice if we stop and listen and we get back to reason. Whether we flipped our lid in anger or flipped it in despair and depression. Do you see that either way it goes, either way, whether we're living a melancholy life that's filled with um, sadness and sorrow or a choleric life that's filled with anger, Either way, it's the emotion that's overriding our ability to reason and think through. Either way it goes. You see, she went back to her set point. She quit living her self-involved life. She went back to Jesus. Verse 30, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Jesus arrived and saw, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, okay, y'all, we're going to love it here. Lord, if only... <laughs> If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. What happened? She leaves, and then she's back flipping, isn't she? Hey, hey, does this sound like anybody else? Because we don't live that perfect set point life, do we? No, we're up and down. She says the same thing Martha did. Can you imagine they've had this conversation many times, if only conversations? Well, here's been the action, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, Listen to what Jesus did. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. So I want to hone in on that word of Jesus' anger. Some versions don't even use that word. They use other, other words to explain the, Jesus, the emotion Jesus had. So I, I looked at what the Greek word means. And so the Greek word implies that uh, he was snorting with anger. He was snorting with anger. He is not angry because they're sad and because they're crying. He's angry because they have something to be sad about. 
Okay, we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back to Genesis. We're going to go way back to Adam and Eve. And what was the plan for Adam and Eve about life and longevity? They would never die. And then what happened? Sin. And then it happens all through history. All those hundreds and thousands of years, it happened. That's why Jesus was angry. Because, because of the sin, he witnessed firsthand as a man in an earthly body with a spiritual being, he saw the results and consequences of living in a sin-filled world. Death happens. So Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Because he was angry that they had to have sorrow. What I take away from this is, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you gave us your son who could experience the sorrow and the anger and the sadness that I feel over death and pain. He knows. That's why he can comfort us. And he comforts us because he has been there. And so he loved them dearly. And when we love dearly, we hurt deeply. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Do you see they had a recognition of Jesus' love because Jesus was crying with them. Um, I also think we need to take note that there was a crowd there. See how important it was to have the crowd? That was part of Jesus' plan and purpose. He needed people to see the miracle so that it would happen for good and to glorify God. A lot of people were there. But some said the man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Okay, that sounds like so much our conversation. I hear it all the time from you and from other people that come to me. But why did he let it happen? And why did he heal this person and not this person? And why did that person have to die from this kind of cancer and that person didn't? And why did my, and fill in the blank, friend, father, son, husband, wife, why did they have to die? And others, why did it have to happen? See, it's this age-old question. And we don't have an answer for it. There is not one. We do not have the mind of God. And this is where faith comes in. And believing that God does all things for our good and for his glory. And so uh, they, that conversation is much like ours. It's much like a conversation we would have at any funeral home or at cemetery or the bedside of somebody, isn't it? Wondering why this happens. Everyone's weeping now. Have you experienced that kind of heartache? Where we've, we've had it in here, haven't we, when our dear loved ones, when our sister Jamie died and the, and the sorrow we all felt, the pain we felt and the tears that came and the weeping and around our own family members, the weeping. We know this scene. It was hard. It was a hard scene. So Jesus now in verse 38 is still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. And so here's what Jesus says. Roll the stone aside. 
But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. I don't love this, y'all. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And the King James Version says it better. He He stinks. Um, so the shortest Bible verse, Jesus wept, is now followed by, I think, one of the funniest ones. Uh, <coughs> so he says, roll away the stone. And so uh, the, the stone has to be rolled away for the miracle to occur. And what I love is that Jesus has other people participate in the miracle. Hey, Brother Peter and John and Matthew and John, don't boys come over here. You've got to roll this stone away. And hey, some of you citizens in the air, we need help because this is really heavy. So roll this away. You see? So there's no question. I mean, he's having other people do it. We have we've studied miracles in the last session, and we, we looked at things where it just happened immediately because God spoke the word, Jesus spoke the word. And then others where he uses instruments of to help along the way. And this he used people to roll that stone away. And so sometimes in order to have a re- resurrection, things get, get foul and they stink and they're messy. And we're not going to always have a clean, sterile environment. It's going to be yucky and we have to go through hard things that are hidden behind a stone. See, all the yuckiness. When we are suffering and we don't know why we're suffering, we're trying to get well and we have, we're an emotional wreck or we, we feel like we're under spiritual attack uh, and we're having uh, upheavals uh, right and left. It is yucky, it is ugly, and we have to sort through things while we are in that cave sorting through and there is a stone in front. And that stone is going to have to be moved in order for the miracle to work. And God is using other people to move that stone. It's so helpful for us to remember that. But we're dealing with the yuck and the grime of life. And we're in it deeply. Other people can help us. Sometimes we will need to move the stone ourselves. When we've been living in doubt and fear and discouragement and anxiety and blame and anger, that also begins to stink. It stinketh. It stinketh to you and to people around you. Who wants to live around somebody who has a flipped lid all the time? We don't. We have work to do in our own little tomb. Jesus responded, didn't I tell thee that you would see God's glory if you believe? I have to think this was with a beautiful smile on his face. Didn't I tell you? It's not like what we say, I told you so. He said, didn't I tell you? So they rolled the stone aside. Wow. You know, they didn't really want to take it away because they'd, they'd given up. It stinks in there. It's over. He's dead because they had lost hope. That's where we get sometimes. We're without hope. But he says, no, when we move that stone away, you're going to see because I promised you something. Just as he tells us, our situations may be hopeless too, but there is hope. We might seem desperate. You know, in my own times of hopelessness, 
I found it is best to focus on the hope that God gives me in scripture, in reading. You know, I have had a a very difficult week. Um, I am emotionally drained. I'm physically drained. Uh, And my devotion this morning said these words. It was about Jesus. And it was about people always being after him for this and for that. And, and, And the whole point was there was nobody on earth who was was more called upon for his time and his attention. Nobody. I thought, oh, I needed that today. That's that's what we have in him. He he understands. And it helped me to reset and refocus. We have to remove the stone that is preventing God from working in our lives. So what is your stone? What is it? What is the mindset that you see in this story? Is it the doubt or fear or discouragement or anxiety? Is it blame? Is it anger? Or is it something else? What is blocking? What is blocking? What's in the way? And what I think it's doing is blocking out your blessings. It's blocking them out. Is there something that needs to be removed in order for God to do the work in your life? What are those stones blocking the entrance? Is it lack of forgiveness? Is it busyness? Is it a lack of recognizing the truth and doing self-reflection? I find that is almost number one. Not taking the time to self-reflect. How is this looking? How does this appear to others? Because if I'm just talking about how it feels to me, I'm not self-reflecting about how this is looking out in the world and how is it looking to Jesus. We have to participate in our breakthrough by being self-reflective. And then we cooperate with God. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. He said that twice. You hear me. You always hear me. What an example in that prayer, isn't it? But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. See, that was his purpose. purpose. He's so intentional. He said, thank you in front of the people as a model for prayer. So they will believe you sent me. The first words he said are thank you. He doesn't ask God to intervene. He thanks him for what he's done, what he's always done, and what he will continue to do. He prays to proclaim God's greatness in that moment. And then in this most dramatic moment in the scene, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out! He shouted it. Jesus shouted. He called out. Notice that Jesus asked others to do some work to prepare for the miracle. Others rolled the stone away. And then he's the one that calls Lazarus to come out. There were witnesses. And let me tell you this. No miracle has been refuted in Scripture. Not one. There's been no refuted miracle. There were witnesses. He doesn't wave that magic wand and things just happen. Other people were a part of it. Those are really comforting words for us to do today. Whatever is blocking our blessing and whatever doubt we're experiencing or or despair, 
that we're holding on to or is holding on to us, we can say this ourselves, come out. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I want to live again. I want a resurrected life. We can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us in the name of Jesus. We can do it. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Do you see he's asking them to once again participate in this miracle? Do you see that beautiful plan and purpose? One of the most exciting things for me uh, is to plan a surprise party. Uh, for really my children, my grandkids, to plan a party for them and to watch what happens when they see, when they see the leaves and the decorations and the cake, to watch. And I'm thinking all along, and I have no idea this is going on. I have no idea. All the time I think, oh, 10 more days, 6 more days, it's going to be so much fun. And I can't wait to see your face and get the pictures in. It's, wow, you know, sitting in slow motion, don't you? It's so wonderful. It's what Jesus did at the surprise party. He knew all along. Think about that. He knows all along. Right now, he's going to give you a resurrection. He knows it. He's just waiting for you to cooperate. What are the things that come to the party? What would they miss? That beautiful blessing. He got to show them what his wonder is, and then he asked them to participate. Jesus said to them, take off the clothes he was buried in and let him go. But Lazarus has to respond, doesn't he? Lazarus has to respond. Lazarus has to come out. Lazarus came out, and then they had to help him. I love this sense of community that Jesus is teaching us. They were caring for him. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd be the hardest job of the whole thing, wouldn't it? Unbind him. Take off all that nasty gauze that's wrapped around him. All that stuff that's been on him for four days. Hey, anybody in the medical community here that has done that and taken off those bandages and unwrapped all those ugly wounds? Yes, Lucy's going like this right now. Yes, it stinketh, doesn't it? It's terrifying, actually. But the community had the power to either wind him back up or unwind him. We have the same power. When we get healed and resurrected from whatever is binding us, we get to choose. Am I going to stay unbound or am I going to get bound up again? It's our choice. Lazarus came out. He did the victory march out of that tomb and they unwound him. You know, we're all in grave clothes of some kind, aren't we? We're wound up in something because we're human. We are bound up in things that keep us in our tomb of whatever has got us in chains. What things are binding you in grave clothes? What things constrict you from living the life that God has planned? Do you need help getting unbound? Or do you need to unbind yourself and anything that resembles death? We want to take off fear and doubt and discouragement and anxiety and blame and anger. 
We want to unbind ourselves. And then we want to support others as they begin to shed things that resemble death. Aren't we blessed to serve a God who wants to, us to live that resurrected life and promises to give us that kind of life? He wants to come to each of us, and He does come to each of us, and He calls out, come out, just come out with me. Let's get all unbound, and let's live a resurrected life. That's the message of the gospel. Today, God comforts with His words, His promises. Can we receive that and walk in that? Thomas, Mary, and Martha chose to do that, and we can also. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus that could walk on this earth and could experience all those emotions that we experience. Thank you that he modeled how to deal with those and how it looks. Thank you that he asked us to participate in our resurrection on this earth. He calls us to come out, help us to respond and to give over anything that is keeping us chained up inside. We will then give you all the glory and know that it has been for our good. It is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.